Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they're going, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We have been, uh, throughout the summer, we have been uh, doing a study of uh, different places throughout the Holy Land and different stories of faith from throughout the Holy Land. And uh, we're going to continue that today and uh, looking at a, a particular part of a, a particular sermon that Jesus gave, probably his most well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll, we'll open up God's word together. God, as we have gathered here this morning and uh, have been worshiping you and continue to worship you through uh, our study of your word, we just pray that you will open up our hearts to the things that you are saying to us through the scripture this morning, that we may hear the things that you have to say and hold fast to them, that we may that we may know you better, so that we may serve you better. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, and this this sermon takes place uh, up in the north north region. I don't have a map for you today, but if you have a Bible, you can look in your map. Um, and incidentally, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there should be some Bibles along the edge of the pews there. So if you need to grab one, feel free to grab it. We'd love to have you use it. Um, and so he gives us gives a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look in in Luke, uh, Jesus gives a very similar sermon. And but we're told that he's giving this sermon on a plane. And they're they're back to back. And so the question you would say is like, well, where is he actually? Is he giving it on a mountain? Is he giving it on a plane? Uh, the reality is probably what Jesus is doing here is he's traveling around throughout the region of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And he's preaching everywhere he goes. And most likely what he's doing is he's he's preaching a similar message every, every to every place. Because they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have 24-hour news networks. And so the people that hear it in one town aren't going to hear, aren't, don't have the same opportunity to hear it. They, it's not like they've already heard it, so he's giving the same message again. In fact, we people still do this today. If you uh, if we were to hire some speaker, from, some preacher from somewhere, and he were to come in here and preach, probably what he would do is he would preach a sermon that he's he's preached before. You know, you go, you do your highlights, do the ones that uh, the people people know. If you're going to a, a book tour, someone's traveling around promoting their book. Uh, they're probably doing the same thing every week. You go to a concert, they're playing a similar set list every night. Like they, you go to a different city and you, you do the same stuff. So Jesus is most likely to do this. So sometimes you say, well, here's this contradiction in the Bible. Was it on a mountain or a plane? It was probably both. He was probably all over the region giving this the same message and ver- or a very similar message. And so he's preaching to the to the people, and we're going to just look at specifically one. Uh, one part of this sermon, we could we could spend months looking through the whole Sermon on the Mount, and maybe we'll do that another time. But right now, I want to invite you to turn, uh, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter six, and we're going to start in verse twenty-five. Verse twenty-five, Jesus says, "Therefore I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, how many of you have read this passage before? Oh, good. A lot of us. Uh, so we don't really need to, I mean, right? We just got it, right? Don't worry. We stop worrying, right? Done. Uh, let's go home. Now, uh, how many of you still worry? Yeah, right? Uh, we, and as, as I read this passage over the last couple of weeks, Think, I mean, these ideas that Jesus is talking about here. He says, he gives a couple reasons why we shouldn't worry. He says, look, God is going to provide for you, so don't worry. I mean, look at the way he provides for the birds. Look at the way that he provides for the, the flowers of the field. Like, he cares for these things. He's, he's in control. Trust God, and, and you don't have to worry. And then the second reason he says not to worry is it doesn't do any good. Right? He says, how many of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? So he says, you don't need to worry because God's in control, and you don't need to worry because it's not doing you any good anyway. So knock it off. Uh, and yet, yet we still find things to worry about. And worry can can sometimes consume, control our lives, can impact the decisions that we're making. And so what I what I want us to focus on here is, uh, frankly, I don't have any hopes or pretensions that somehow like uh, something that I say today will brilliantly, brilliantly like stop all of your worry. Like uh, if you've heard this before and, and Jesus' words don't do it for you, my words probably aren't going to fix it for you either. Uh, but what, what I hope that we can do this morning is as we look at this passage and talk through this passage, maybe at least give us some, some tools and some ideas that when, when the worry begins to creep in in our lives, we say, okay, here's, here's some steps that I can, I can do with this. And I don't, again, I don't think it's going to solve this problem for any one of us, but hopefully as we are being led by the Spirit and, and coming back to this passage again and again, uh, it, it will maybe do us some good. Um, cause a lot of times when you hear someone say, and for me, like someone says, well, don't worry. It just makes you worry more, right? Like, it doesn't help anything. And so, uh, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna work our way through this passage a little bit and talk about it. And hopefully we'll come up with at least a couple, couple tools and a couple directions for how we can win anxiety, win worry, 
begins to creep into our lives, we can we can direct those towards the things that God would have for us. So as we as we begin our passage, first of all, the the first thing that we come across is the word therefore. And if you find the word therefore, what do you do? See what it's there for. Good, nice job, Jeff. Uh, yeah. So any. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is in the middle of a longer discussion that that Jesus has been having with these people on on this mountainside, and he's been he's been teaching them. And so if we jump back, we just jump back one verse. We're going to see a little bit of context of what's going on here, where Jesus says, "Therefore I tell you, do not worry." And it's this. It says in verse twenty-four. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And uh, your translation might say you cannot serve both God and mammon, which is... Uh, which is the the word in Greek, and it's it's an Aramaic word uh, that that really means not just money but wealth. And so Jesus is saying to to the people here uh, again, this is in a context of even more stuff that we don't have time to dive into today. But he's saying, look, you can only serve one master, and the the implication here is that these two that that God and Mammon or God and wealth are in opposition to one another. And just stay with me for a little bit. Uh, uh, God and, and wealth cannot both control your life. That, that if you serve wealth, that God is going to then take a back seat. And if you live your life for God, then your wealth will take a back seat. And what Jesus is drawing his disciples and these people, people's attention to is that that if your first priority in life is to have everything provided for you and have security and wealth and and just a sense of stability, then you're going to have to give up on some of the things that God might have for your life. But if your first priority in life is to serve God and to live the way in which He would have you to live, then then... Uh, later on, we see he says uh, in verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and then all of these things will be added to you. And the implication is that if, if you are focused on God, then then wealth may come. It may not. It's not not necessarily a promise. Well, the things that he says will be added is, is clothing and, and basic necessities. But he says, if you if you're pursuing life and you're and you're seeking after what you can get for yourself, then God is going to take a back seat. If you're pursuing God, then these other things will take a back seat. And this is really, uh, I mean, this is, you stop and think about it, this is, this is basic stuff. But, uh, what, what Jesus is directing these people to and directing their attention to is this idea that, that our wealth, our stuff, ought to be a tool for which we serve the Lord. And it's a means by which God can bless us in, in certain ways, but we, we are not seeking after that blessing. We're not seeking after more stuff. We're not seeking after more money and, and power and wealth. What we're seeking after is the things that God would have for us. 
Too often, however, what happens is our, our stuff does control us. And if you stop and you pause and you think about the, the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis, the, the way in which you uh, make your, I mean, even like choose the kind of car that you're going to drive. You choose the kind of job that you want to have. You, the choices that we make and the kind of school that we're going to send our kids to. The place that we want to live, like the, the choices that we make around the stuff that we have and the wealth that we have often are the things that create the most worry in our lives, aren't they? It's, it's will I have enough? Will, will I be able to do all of the things that I want to do? As I compare myself, as I compare the things that I have with the other people, Am I, am I good enough? Am I, am I capable enough? Am I successful enough? Do, am I accumulating the wealth that I have at the rate that I want to have it? Am I establishing myself with security for the future and knowing that I have done what I can do to be in control of my life? And it's when we feel like we can't, we're not, that's where the worry begins to creep in. And so what Jesus is saying here is, as he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, is he's saying there's a direct correlation to the way in which we worry about what we have and and the way in which we are serving God or not serving God and serving our wealth. And that worry begins to creep in when when our stuff becomes the God in our lives. When God takes a back seat and we're consumed with these things that we have and, and the wealth, then worry begins to creep in. And so, uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 Kings chapter 18. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles back to there. Feel free to keep your finger or bookmark or something in Matthew 6, because we'll come back. But So, in 1 Kings chapter 18... Elijah is standing on Mount Carmel. And he has this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. We looked at this just a couple weeks ago. In which the nation of Israel had been worshipping this false god Baal. And Elijah gathers all of the prophets of Baal and he says, and he gathers the people of Israel and he stands before them and says, in verse 21, uh, he says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And then uh, Elijah has this confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and, and the prophets are trying to get Baal to respond to their pleas to, to light a sacrifice, and it doesn't work. And then Elijah has uh, praise to the Lord, and, and the Lord responds and shows the power of the Lord versus versus this uh, lack of power that, that Baal had. And we look at that passage, and I was sitting here a couple weeks ago reading through this passage, and, and I don't know if, if, uh, if you're like me, but you, you hear about a world in which people are worshiping this idol and this, this other god, that, um, and you just think, that seems so far away from anything that I, like, why would they... Strong with these people, right? They're worshiping this this cow god thing, um, but Baal 
was known as the God who would bring the rains, the God who would provide uh, fertility for the ground and for your families. And in, in a culture like they're living in in, uh, in the ancient world, this was their wealth. Whether or not you were able to have a large family meant that you were wealthy. Whether or not you were able to, to grow the, the crops that you needed determined how much wealth that you had. Baal was mammon. Baal was their wealth. And, and if Baal is responding accurately and we're doing the right things to get Baal to give us what we need, then we have a sense of security. And if we have all of our wealth, if we, then, then Baal must be favoring us. And all of a sudden, it's not so different from the way that we treat wealth today. We may not be worshiping uh, an idol, but we allow our wealth to be the thing that provides for our family. The thing that we trust to care for us. We say, okay, here's how much I have in my bank account. And here's how much I need for tomorrow. Here's how much I need to be able to retire comfortably, to be able to have the life that I want for myself. And we're putting our trust in what we're able to earn and do and gain for ourselves in this, in this number, in this stuff, rather than putting our trust in God. And, and Elijah stands before the people and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And Jesus stands on the mountain and he says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other. You cannot serve both God and your wealth. And so, uh, so what do we do with this? What are we invited to do, those of us, and, and frankly, everyone in this country, everyone in this room, is among the top 5% wealthiest people in the world. Uh, some of the wealthiest people in all of history, uh, e- even if you don't have much, you're still wealthier than most people. Um, what do we do with all of this wealth? What do we, how, how do we uh, orient ourselves in a relationship around the stuff that we do have, the things that God has given us, so that it doesn't control us? Because... The reality is, it, it is controlling us. As much as, as much, and, and Rachel and I have been having these conversations as I knew I had to preach on this, is, this is, uh, not just something I'm saying, oh yeah, all you people, I got this figured out. Uh, this, what do we, how do we have a relationship with all this stuff that we have in a way that it doesn't become our God? It doesn't become the thing that we worship, doesn't become the thing that we seek after and, and put our trust in and our hope in. What what are the things that we do with all of this uh, to not let it control us? First Timothy chapter six. We read some of this already this morning in our scripture reading. We have two things here that we're going to talk about now that to really bring this home of, of okay. So how do we respond to this? That hopefully we'll deal again with with the worry in our lives. So we already read this, but I'll just read uh, part of it again. It says, but godliness in verse 6 of First Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the, into the world and we can take nothing out of it. That's a, that's a great reminder right there, right? That none of this stuff is, is permanent. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those that want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice that it doesn't say love of money is evil or that money is evil. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It, it directs our hearts away, again, away from the things of God and towards things that, that are contrary to what God would have for us, if it controls us. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. And then jumping down to verse 17, he says this. Uh, and this, I think, applies to all of us, uh, again, relatively speaking. Command those who are rich in this present world not to put, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which rich, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the, of the life that is truly life. And here in verse 18, I think, is the key to how we avoid letting our wealth control us. And he says this, he says, uh, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And those of us that have wealth, the instructions for how we don't allow our wealth to control our lives and to put our hope in wealth is to give it away. Easy enough. Then you don't have it and, and then it's problem solved, right? No, but the idea is that, that we hold, we, we understand the things that we have and all of, all of the wealth that has been given to us. And we, we take a look at our lives and all that we have and we hold it with open palms. That we don't clutch to the things that we have and say, okay, here's what I need in order to make it through the next month or the next. But we say with open palms, the wealth that I have uh, is not mine. That this is a gift from God and so I will be generous with it. And for each of us, that generosity looks different. And, and before I go on, I want to pause and, and make clear that what I'm not trying to, to get to here is like, okay, here's how much you need to give to the church. Uh, not saying here, and, and Paul is not saying, and Jesus is not saying, okay, this is how you give, you know, you got to give X amount to the church. And, and But it's living lives of radical generosity. So that we see the, the things that we have and say, this isn't mine and I'm willing to share with those I come across who need it. And, and having an openness to, to, to distribute it. To see a need and to say, I'm going to care for that need. And that doesn't just always mean, uh, financially either. Sometimes that is being generous with our time, being generous with our energy, being generous with whatever it is that God has given us. We are invited to this radical generosity to give freely 
frankly, sometimes to those who don't deserve it. The model uh, we're given in Second Corinthians, I won't have you turn there, but we have been we've been going through Second Corinthians in our Sunday school class, and the model for this kind of generosity comes from Christ. He says in verse Second Corinthians eight nine, he says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich." And this understanding that the grace of God has been given freely to those who don't deserve it. And that God gives us life generously even though we don't deserve it. And we are invited as his people to give our lives generously. And to give of our things generously. And to, to not hold tight to the things that we have, but to, but to give it up. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we give it all away. Uh, some people... In Scripture, God says, hey, give it all away. Come follow me. He doesn't tell that to everybody, but he says that to some people. But regardless of, of what that is, that is, that's between you and the Lord and the way that he's, he's working in your lives, but that we have this relationship with our stuff that we, that we become generous. And when we're willing to just let go and share and give, all of a sudden that stuff doesn't have a hold on us any longer because we recognize that it's not ours. We let go of this idea that there, that this, this is mine. And then, uh, Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, this is, this is our, uh, second way in which we can avoid worry. Again, we're not worrying about our stuff because we're living generously but we also, it says in, in Philippians chapter 4, we'll just begin in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here, the other way in which we're being told to not be anxious, to not worry, is simply this. It's uh, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And this, again, becomes a way in which we're letting go of, of the control that we have. Because oftentimes, when worry creeps into our life, where do we present our requests? We take them maybe to, to friends. We take them to family members. Uh, we, we'll go back to our wealth and say, okay, here, here's a, a, a struggle. How am I going to get myself out of this with the things that I can do, with the things that I've accumulated? How am I going to solve this problem on my own? Or how am I going to complain to somebody else who might give me a sympathetic ear or, uh, or what Paul says here is, is in your anxiety, when this creeps up, present your requests to God. And there's this reality that there will always be things to worry about. There will always be new things that bring about uh, concern and worry. But the question becomes, where do we put our trust when those things come? And oftentimes it becomes, we put our trust in 
what we can do about it in our own control. And yet Paul invites us again to present our request to God. Uh, turn. Uh, this is the last place I'm going to have you turn. I know we've been jumping around a lot. Uh, turn to Psalm chapter 3. I just want to show you this. I started looking through, uh, skimming through some Psalms this week and uh, was just fascinated by how, how many of these, and these aren't the only ones, but uh, a lot of these Psalms are written by, by David. David was a guy who had a lot of things to worry about in his life. Um, he, I mean, he's constantly being chased and his life is under threat and there's all kinds of things going on. But look at what, look at how he responds to, to this worry. We're just gonna, we're gonna flip through a few Psalms here. So, Psalm chapter 3 says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord. And he answers me from his holy mountain. Chapter 4, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Chapter 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Uh, Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Psalm 7. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. For they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Here we have a handful of psalms back to back to back. And these aren't the only psalms that are like this. But where does David turn in the midst of his distress? To the Lord, right? He, he begins to write these prayers and these songs saying, not saying like, hey, I'm trusting in God, so everything is working out great now. But look, in the midst of my worry, in the midst of my distress, in the midst of my anxiety, Lord, you are the one who I turn to. Listen to my words, Lord. Hear me. And so as we, as we know in our lives, that there will be more things to worry about. We have things in our lives today that we have been worrying about. And as we walk out of here, uh, there will be more things that come our way to worry about. Some of it's going to be related to our wealth and our stuff. Some of it's just going to be related to our circumstances and, and the things going on in our lives. But may we, as the worry creeps in, may we hold loosely to the things that we, that God has given us. May we not try to, to hang on tightly before they disappear, but may we be generous with those things. And when the worry continues, come back again and again. May we not take our requests to Mammon, to Baal. May we not take our requests to these other temporary things that cannot satisfy. But may we take our requests to God. May we trust in His provision. 
trusting that he knows what's best. And even if it means losing some of this stuff, knowing that he will provide the things that we need. Seeking first the things that he would have for us and trusting that he will add the things that we need with those things. Let's pray. God, as we uh, reflect on these words and we hear uh, these instructions to not worry, uh, it's it's much easier said than done. And we reflect on our own relationship to the things that you have given us and the things that we have in our lives, and we think uh, think about so many needs around the world. And the ways in which we often allow ourselves to be consumed uh, with our own uh, with our own worries, we just ask for strength uh, and courage to to examine, um, to allow Your Spirit to work in us, so that we may live more generously in our world, that we may continue to put our trust in You and You alone. Pray this in Your name, Amen. So we go today, um, mention this briefly, but I want to bring this back around. Uh, the, the reason that we can be generous and the reason that we can live uh, lives in service of God is because he has loved us so generously. Uh, and we, we gather beneath the cross every Sunday as a reminder of God's generous love for us that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, when we didn't deserve it for our sins. And if you're here this morning, um, I just, and this is new to you, um, or maybe you've heard it a bunch, but you have not put your trust in the work of Jesus, uh, and his generous, uh, sacrificial love, I invite you to do that this morning. Uh, and allow yourselves and allow that we, all of us who have been transformed by the cross of Christ, allow ourselves to continue to be transformed, to live out radical, generous, radically generous lives, trusting in God's provision.